This is the Workplace Podcast with your host, William Corliss, brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation, your external learning and development partner. Each week, we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who are subject matter experts and are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team and organization. Today's guest is Nicola Curtin. Nicola is an experienced business advisor and coach, working with SMEs in the United Kingdom for over 35 years, as well as for UK government programmes. She is a visiting lecturer on the MSc and MBA courses at the Hertfordshire University Business School. A graduate in mathematics, she has used statistics and modelling extensively in all of her work. Nicola is the daughter of Dr. M.J. Curtin, creator of the Curtin Adoption Innovation Theory and Inventory, more commonly known as KAI, which measures style of problem solving and creativity. It is used widely to help leaders and teams in the workplace improve performance in education. It is also used in counselling and mental health management. Nicola established and directs the KAI Foundation, which promotes the understanding of problem-solving style through the correct application of KAI. The Foundation is the guardian of academic standards and usage of the KAI measure. It is the sole distributor of KAI materials, including the assessment inventory. An essential part of their work is supporting their academic and teaching partners at Virginia Tech and the KAI community worldwide. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is innovation in the workplace. And joining us is Nicola Curtin. Nicola, you're very welcome to Workplace Podcast. Thank you very much, William. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. So you are probably one of the best placed people to speak about the topic of innovation as your father, Dr. MJ Curtin, was the creator of the Curtin Adaptation Innovation theory we'll talk about that later on i take it you've grown up with innovation through your your career you know growing up listening to your dad's research all this so so tell me a little bit about your you know growing up with someone who's just like devoted their whole life to innovation well we used to joke when i was a child that um, um we were one of six children not five my, my father actually had five children but the sixth baby and um, probably the most important in his life was his work and this is very much his life work and I think it probably really started to get out into the published um literary reviews and things and about 1975 so I was a teenager at that time but I was working in his office so a holiday job, you know, that kind of thing. And so I lived and breathed it from a from a teenagehood right the way through. Once I got into being a commercially active individual, I ended up advising him in the background with commercial stuff because he's an academic. And so we worked as a partnership 
all the way through my adult life and right up until the moment he died um, three years ago. And again, you know, you've had your own career as well with Coca-Cola and American Express. So you've got the academic side and you then you see that the corporate side. And this is what brings us here today then is to really understand innovation from a work context. So I'm going to start with the first question, Nicola. So some people are listening in and they're talking about innovation and they're going to go, they're probably walking or driving their cars or whatever that they're doing. And they're kind of going, well, what's the difference between innovation and creativity and problem solving? Are they different? Are they the same? Is it like, help guide me on this one. It's a really thorny subject and lots of people have different interpretations of the different words. So um, if we go back to brass tacks, my father's theory is that everybody is creative in one way or another. Just the way we are creative is different. So if you like them, um, we've got people who like lots of structure, who like stick, working within a structured environment, they like rules, they like a of terms of reference, and they are what we call more adaptive individuals, but they are creatively adaptive. So they, they generate ideas in an adaptive way. They take what we've got already and they improve, perfect, make better. So all of their ideas, all of their creativity takes what's there and makes it better. If we go to the other end of the spectrum, we might start talking about innovation and that's breakthrough thoughts, turning things up, disregard for the rules, not liking the restrictions of things and maybe challenging. And so in my father's world, innovation was very much had that as a definition so then you could be creative in an innovative way breakthrough way or you can be creative in an adaptive more cautious way uh, where problem solving comes is that we often use um, uh, thinking problem solving and creativity in very similar ways so you can problem solve in an innovative way or you can problem solve in a more adaptive way Depending on what kind of question you have posed, it will depend on what kind of solution you might be looking for and whether you want to smash everything down and to start from scratch. And some could say that certain problems really need that. And others, no, we don't need to do that. We just need to make things a little bit better to improve them, increase it in a commercial way, margins. Whereas we know that if you're going for breakthrough, that usually doesn't improve margins in the in the short term, but it's going to catch you um, a competitive advantage in the longer term. So one tends to require slightly more investment and commitment than the other, if you like. Does that sort of get close to answering your question, William? It does. And I, something I'm gonna, I really noted there was asking the right question. So when, when people are in the workplace, then it's like kind of going, oh, solve that to solve the profit margin. And I really like what you said about the short term versus the long term. So you can see, you know, companies, if they don't innovate, they're in a lot of trouble. But if they're one side of scale, more adaptive, focusing on what they already have, then are they really going to get that first to market principle where, you know, they're going to they're going to get those margins and those profit gains where you're saying would pay off in the long term. So I'm just curious. You need about a balance. That. Yeah, 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 I think you need a balance, William. You see, so, um, for example, you can keep on improving, say, let's go back in history. Let's talk about armament. Military is always fun, isn't it? 
There was a time when we had bows and arrows and an archer could fire, say, 20 arrows comfortably in a minute with no issue whatsoever. Whereas the gun was invented, breakthrough, fantastic. We now know that we can't, you know, military can't survive without it. But it took them, uh, um, somebody who's shooting, a whole minute to load his gun or their gun, I should say, in today's uh, environment. And then it wasn't very accurate. So that is a sample of where more adaptive, we can keep on improving those arrows, but we actually need to invest in the more innovative because our competitors are going to be, or in this particular case, our enemies are going to refine that gun and then we'll have that advantage over us. So can you see there's an, a situation where investing in a more innovative approach is required? You have to have that long-term vision to do something very, very different, where it's quite appealing to stick with what we've got. Equally, if we impose a completely new innovative idea all of time in an environment and never do any perfection improvement in our processes, our margins are always going to be difficult to manage we will get better margins by improving the process typically or improving the product for our, our clients. And you'll get fewer complaints. Um, so that I think that's why we need a bit of both all the way through. You mentioned this already is that anybody can be a, uh, innovative, which is a relief to someone like me who's kind of going, oh, am I more the adaptive type or am I more the, the groundbreaker? Because is there a way to be a, like a bit of both to sometimes just rip it up and start again? You know, like, is is there clear preferences, you know, on that spectrum? So what's interesting about that is anyone can be creative. Everybody's creative. And the, um, the theory around adaption innovation is it's a continuum. So everyone fits somewhere along the line with different quantities. So you could be highly adaptive, highly innovative, or a bit of a mixture, mildly innovative, mildly adaptive, um, or right bang in the middle. Um, now, this is your preference, not your actual behavior. OK, so my preference might be, for example, to be more adaptive. Now, when I need to in an emergency where I haven't got a solution which is more adaptive, I'm forced to think in a more innovative way. But it's hard work. It's difficult. And I'm right out of my comfort zone. So it means that if you're a leader or a team player, asking people to behave in a way which isn't their natural preference is hard work for them emotionally and cognitively. So that is why I would say preference is not the same as actual behaviour. What we're talking about here with my father's work is preference but we acknowledge that people's actual behaviour is different from that preference. So yes, we're all to a certain extent a mixture of both. How much of each um, is, is down to where you are on that sliding scale, if you like. So, um, and it means that you can draw a little bit on either side of yourself, but the further you go from where you naturally would sit, the harder it is to do that um, and we have to bear that bear in mind that there's an emotional cost to behaving differently from how we naturally are yeah i'm naturally thinking of carl jung and introversion and extroversion how that's on a scale and you could be an ambivert where you could be adaptive uh to both and when you were you were talking there you mentioned your your father's work so 
How about we, we talk about that, the that the the ad, adaptation innovation theory? Because I know there's a there's a psychometric uh, associated with this. Mm-hmm. So you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'm delighted. So yes, the, fundamentally, my father started off with a theory that we all think in a particular in our own particular um, style. And that some people are more innovative, tend to be more breakthrough, but also they tend to be more challenging and they can generate many more ideas. So they are proliferate ideas, if you like. The more adaptive the people who like to work in a more structured environment tend to offer fewer ideas, but they are universally of a higher quality. So um, if I'm more adaptive and I give forward an idea or a solution to a problem, it's likely you can implement it straight away. The more innovative individuals may throw out 10 different solutions, some of which are very mad uh, to the immediate uh, initial view and require a little bit more thinking about, some of which are not practical at all, and some of which will be practical and maybe um, breakthrough. So if you like, there's a fundamental difference along the scale as to how much structure you like, how many ideas you're prepared to push out and and whether or not they fit within uh, the paradigm. Now, in order to use this in the workplace, it's useful to have a measure. And so my father also uh, uh, created a measure of adaption innovation, which tells you roughly where on that spectrum you lie. And it's very, very robust. So there's been 450 learned uh, uh, journals written around this work, which verify that it's robust, that um, that preference doesn't change um, during adult life, we believe it's set very, very early on in life, if not born with it, um, and that you don't change your preference, but you can change your behaviour to a degree. So if that answers your question and understanding where you fit versus the rest of your team, or if you're a leader, how you are different from your subordinates and your managers is a very useful piece of information because it helps you determine how to speak and collaborate with other people who may be different from you. So if you're highly innovative and you're wanting to work collaboratively with somebody who's more adaptive, they're gonna want a bit more detail. They're gonna want a bit more structure. They wanna be confident that what timelines are required. And those are things which perhaps you aren't terribly interested in. So you've got to overcome that little problem in your head that you don't think it's very important because the other person does believe it's important. And you need to produce the language and the materials which will facilitate them to do a good job and vice versa. So it doesn't matter which way around you're working. If you're working with somebody who's quite different from you, they have a preference and a style of of ways of working, which means that if you want them to be effective, you need to bend how you behave in order to get the best out of them. So it's particularly important if you're a leader, but it's also really important for great teamwork and we know that the more the wider the cognitive diversity that we've got, the thinking style diversity within your team, and the greater the level of respect and the better the collaboration, the more successful the team is going to be because it looks at every problem from every angle. And that's a really powerful thing. Um, it means you're not, you're not um, polishing up something which is obsolete 
which can happen very easily. And equally, you are getting stuff done because highly innovative people typically are moved on to the next idea before they've implemented the first idea or the first solution. So getting things done is really helpful to have strong adapters within your team. And it is about balance. So you reminded me actually of a, a team that I'm still part of. And there was two of us, you know, going to do an innovative problem. And we're clearly on one side, you know, and we're we were we're more on the, the very innovative side. And then we brought it back to the presented team. And some people were more adaptive and they were like, this is the best thing we're ever seeing. How are we going to implement it? You know, and it's the details, it's the timelines, it's the logistics, it's all this stuff. So, you know, that forced us into a conversation to go, okay, so we need parameters around this or boundaries. So it does generate a conversation. Likewise, if you, if you didn't have that self-awareness or knowledge about your own preferences, then it can easily generate conflict in the team. So I could see people rolling their eyes some kind of going, oh, I know somebody I work with and they come up with a hundred ideas and you're just like, okay, what's the practical ones here where some people are maybe within the, the, the box or what they know or the comfort zone or within a framework or maybe even asking the wrong questions and focusing on the wrong problems. And this is why it's really important, isn't it, to know or those cognitive styles or cognitive differences as you were talking about. Yeah, you can produce a lot of conflict very quickly without actually realising that you're doing it. Um, and this is why having this insight is so useful. Um, it's very easy for the adapters to assume that all of the ideas which are coming into them from a in, in, more innovative end are mad. And uh, because they aren't properly thought through, they haven't gone through the detail, they haven't organised the budget, they haven't looked at all the, all the bits and pieces which is going to make it practical. And they also tend to rush in and say, I've got a great idea, I've got lots of ideas. And they haven't thought about their audience um, and vice versa. Um, the uh, more innovative person may very easily get um, distracted and not engaged with a more adaptive uh, set of ideas because they're too thorough. And they sit down and they say, right, I've written the manual and we'll start on page one and we'll go through to page 450. And William, I can see you rolling your eyes before we start when we get into all of the appendices and they've all done all of that kind of thing. And the, and the innovative people are rushing through the door and say, please let me out. So this is, it's really important that we work out how to collaborate to avoid conflict. Because um, as we know, sometimes people assume different means less good. So it's very easy for us to start saying, well, the other guy's, you know, not, not competent because he doesn't think things through properly, or that person's not um, competent because they take so long to process everything. It's just a different way of working, and you have to make sure that you understand how your colleagues work in order to release potential. There's one little thing I wanted to mention at this point in talking about respect um, and, and perhaps some humility to acknowledge that there are things that you aren't so great at, um, is that this problem solving style or adaption innovation measure your assessment is not related to your status 
how much money you earn, what kind of qualification you've got. It's not related to ethnicity, it's not related to gender, and it's not related to um, motive. And it's really important to understand it's not a measure of level. It's a level of preference. So it's not saying how good are you at your job. It's saying this is the way I like to operate in the workplace. And so doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum, it comes with good and bad things. So as I was saying right at the beginning, depending on what we're trying to do, that may be useful or not useful. So if the business is stuck in a rut, then we slightly want more innovation. If we aren't making margins, if we need to um, uh, tighten our belts, if we need to make sure that we are compliant, for example, in the pharmaceutical industry, then we want, want more adaption. And so it's getting that, that sort of balance right, but also having the humility, if you're more innovative, to know you ain't so good at the old details, that you don't always cross the T's and dot the I's well, and that you should be passing that over to somebody else to make sure you're compliant, that you're following the legal requirements, that HR processes are properly followed, and that the manuals are all written. Equally, at the other end of the spectrum, those people need to acknowledge that they don't always see major change coming or need or a need for major change. And sometimes we need that disruptive technology to come in to stir things up a bit. And I'll give you a good example of that. There was a big company um, a few years ago called Kodak, which made film for cameras. Now, some of our audience would be too young to remember a camera with film in it, but I assure you that it did exist. And they knew about digital cameras. They knew that they existed and they had developed one, but they put it on the shelf because if we brought that out, it would damage their film business. And what they actually did as a result of ignoring the breakthrough technology, which was coming and they could see coming, um, as a result of ignoring it, they then in fact went bust because they focused on old technology. And that was high adapters focusing on what they knew, their comfort zone, and not wanting to embrace this disruptive technology, which is going to cost them a lot of money to adopt, implement, and it was definitely going to damage their film industry. Unfortunately for them, because they hadn't embraced it, it was their competitors who damaged their film industry through digital technology. So that's an example where you, you, you they needed change. But equally, if you look at a highly innovative company, if they don't start bringing in adaptive measures, the whole thing starts to wobble um, because they haven't got enough process, haven't got enough structure, and they haven't got um, enough detail about their finances and, and, and just managing their margins and managing the minutiae of the day-to-day -day life. And as a company, an entrepreneurial company gets bigger, you need more of that. And th this is a perfect segue then to people have different ideas. So I remember the story about Kodak where they had five or six years uh, headway on everybody else, their closest competitors, Sony. But like you said, the final, the consumable film that that easy generated money. They're going. No, we have to protect this. Um, and they lost five or six years of market advantage by that. And this brings me to the that thing. Then is we talk about team balance. We talk about you know um 
needs of the business to get that balance right as well and conflict in teams. But then if I have a really good idea, why might my, my idea get shot down? A bit like that, you know, the digital camera stuff. Yes. And so if we take the digital camera example, it it would be because it's they will have set up a committee to discuss it. They will have invited somebody who's more innovative, in who's thinking about it and saying we should be embracing this technology to come and present to a more adaptive team. And it's not cognitively diverse. It's very skewed. And they will have come in and said, this is so exciting. It's going to be fantastic. And what the more adaptive people needed to hear was there is risk involved with not embracing this because more adaptive people are, are worried by risk uh, much more than the innovative people. So it was a method of communication to the board which failed them. So it, was put, it wasn't portrayed as being a risk to their business not to embrace it. And nobody had quantified that. And I suspect, but I can't prove that because I wasn't on the board and I wasn't there, that that was the fundamental underlying problem. So if somebody comes with a what appears to be a brilliant idea for something completely novel and tries to impose it on an adaptive community, they might run screaming to the hills if it's not presented in a way which is acceptable, palatable, thought through. It was probably a, a lack of detail there was a lack of planning. There was no projected financial costs. And to be to be fair to the innovators under those circumstances, it would have been quite difficult to have calculated that. I think the world underestimated the speed at which some of these innovations um, took a grip. Take mobile phones for another. I mean, the penetration rate speed of the market, the market penetration for that was incredibly fast. And, and that brings me to mind then for the companies then. Okay, so can you stimulate innovation in a company? So like sometimes you'll have a major company announcement to say, okay, everybody, we need to be more innovative. And, you know, just like that, it happens. You know, um, I, I, like, I'm fascinated by your, your thoughts on that because I remember seeing the uh, Microsoft CEO at the Web Summit before, uh, Satya Nadella, I think that's how you, you pronounce his name. And, and they were talking about innovation and the different ways. And what they were doing was they were buying over little companies. And what they did is the infrastructure that they centered the physically a hub in the very center to generate um, innovation by having the hub there to give a free space to innovative companies but what they wanted to do was kind of generate the mind frame or process around innovation. So like just where do companies get it wrong? Like, or where do they get it right? I'm just curious about how we can create an environment that's innovative. So let's take innovation in this particular case to mean breakthrough ideas. So that needs, in order to work in that environment, you need to have a protected environment where people feel safe to put forward ideas which have not been thoroughly thought through and road tested. That's number one. So there needs to be a safe, safe environment where somebody can do that and you're not immediately shot down in flames for having uh, for putting forward something which on the face of it looks um, 
unusual or, or, or certainly unconventional, certainly would be unconventional. From there, you need to have some intermediaries between them and the rest of the company, which helps them prepare it for preparation to be accepted. So you, you need some kind of simple process to whittle down from the large number of ideas that you might be having to the ones which look as though they might have legs, to testing it out, to be then able to produce a proof of concept and maybe have some idea of um, uh, what kind of return on investment you're likely to get. And what I would suggest is your little parcel of ideas needs to be passed down the line of the innovation to the adaption uh, spectrum. So as as you as you get closer to wanting to have it adopted by the company, you need to have more adapters on or more adaptive people on your team to prepare it in a way which is going to be palatable, so that it can be accepted. We know that typically it's quite difficult for something which is truly breakthrough to be accepted by a large, more adaptive organization, which by its um, definition has structures and processes. And you know, you can't go anywhere without the accountants say so. We've got to have all of those um, figures tested and being done correctly. That tends to be not the forte of our more innovative um, people within the R&D team. So you need to pass it on to somebody who can do that for you, who maybe it has some innovative tendencies, but also has some adaptive thing uh, tendencies as well. So you're moving towards the center a little bit. So you're producing what we would call bridges. They're people who um, may volunteer to act as a go-between between the innovative team that you might have created for Breakthrough Thought to the rest of the business. They help pick out what is gonna work, what they is practical to uh, implement, and then they work on it to make sure that it gets approved. Equally, you still need to have a system to get more adaptive ideas up through the ranks, because we often find that the best adaptive ideas, the most creative ones, can be at a low level within the company. And here I'm talking about uh, sort of people on the work face, and you still need a system for capturing those, because that you can make huge savings with often sort of minimal um, improvements. And the guys on the on the ground, on the factory floor, often know what they are, where the waste is happening, for example, where the, ele the elements are being um, rejected, which shouldn't be. And actually going and talking to those and getting those adaptive ideas on board is also just as important as getting the breakthrough ideas. Today, we are, as a so the Western world tends to be very focused on the importance of innovation and is forgetting that we also need to encourage the creative adapter. Creative adaption is really, really helpful. And actually, some of the stuff that they can do would save the planet where um, uh, environmental savings and looking at waste would be really useful to have their creativity input on that. Small incremental changes will have a huge impact. And I think that's also important not to underestimate our creative adapters. And I'm just coming to think then, because I can see in large organizations where if you had a functional 
unit there if you don't have those organizational communications in place that narrative would explain what that innovation department is about why there should be bridges that psychological safety there it can break down fairly quickly and that kind of be seen as well those people over there with their with their funny thinking hats or whatever it may be you know and they can be easily dismissed then so no changes might happen and you know, I'm just thinking about business transformations then that mightn't go through, then they could fail because, you know, there's a communication gap or an inability to influence a bit like our, our Kodak moment there. So if there's a large business transformation going on, what advice would you give to senior leaders out there to go, okay, you can have a separate department in there that's innovative, you protect them, you have the bridges in place, you know, with the organization communications. When we talk about, you know, uh, an innovative culture there as part of a business transformation, what what tips can you give us? So with transformational change, that usually is going right across the business from the most adaptive units, which might be the accounts department or the telesales department and customer service on process, sales order processing, right the way through to our more R&D departments and the marketing teams. If you've got transformation change, one of the most difficult parts of that is getting everybody on board. And different people will have different requirements for information. And what we often find is that the board will consider some kind of transformation or change that is needed to make the business um, better um, future-proofed or more efficient uh, or more productive, whatever it is that they want to achieve. And they will have been working on it for some period of time. And the first some of the members of staff hear about it is an announcement from an eye saying, isn't this fantastic? We're going to be doing this. It's going to be wonderful. And they haven't thought about the communication and how it's going to be received in each and every different department. Now, the more adaptive individuals, they want to see that the details are being worked out. How is it going to work in reality? What's it going to mean for my job? How, how am I going to be affected? And what does the business expect from me? And they want that level of detail. Um, and if they don't get that, they're frightened and they're very worried by the whole thing because they think it's not being thought through properly. So communication to that group is very, very important. Otherwise you can often get people up in arms. Equally, the people who are in the marketing and sales department don't want necessarily all of the detail of exactly what's going to happen. What they want is the nub of it. They want the concept of why it's important. They want that helicopter view. Yes, on an individual basis, they want to know what is it from what's going to mean for me. But from a sales and marketing point of view, they just want to have the, the grander picture. So if you sent them a weighty tone, that they would be worried by that that would that would make them feel very uncomfortable so changing your communication depending on who you're speaking to is going to be key so when you're starting to think about the transformation having a team which um, has all the different types of uh, cognitive uh, diversity within it so that they un they can start getting under the skin and start writing the communications and keeping the communications going in a style which is going to be acceptable for the recipients and I would change it depending on who I was speaking to to make sure you take everybody with you and make sure it's a communication which is two-way 
very often we impose these things top down and the people don't feel that they're being listened to. And so listening to them and making time for them is really, really important and having those answers made honestly and thoroughly. So I think those are the things that I would be thinking about by transformational change. You do need the big picture, but you need the micro detail as well. And that micro, the devil's in the detail, is only going to work if somebody's gone through all of that and that the staff come with you. You can't do anything in a large organisation if the staff aren't coming, if your employees aren't engaged and don't believe in it. So that, that would be where I would start quality communication all the way. So I'm just thinking of the if the large scale now, and now let's go down to the, the micro, the individual here that wants to be innovative. And if I was to create the right conditions for myself, so I'm just going to speak freely here about my own process. So, for example, you'll see behind me here uh, in the, my background in my office, a Lego head. So I do lots of Lego serious play for those innovation workshops. And then what I might do is if I'm looking to be innovative, I might use mind maps. I use lots of colors. So, you know, beside me here, I have probably easily 100 markers and I have big pin boards and and different things like that. And sometimes I'll I move and I use the pin board, to, you know, and draw a massive poster of a mind map and, and keep on my feet. Or I might go, for example, into the woods nearby. So I have a lovely walk, a trail, and I, I bring a, a notebook and I'm just writing with me as as I move to that natural environment. And I did a podcast recently with a lady called Annie Murphy-Paul on the extended mind and how we can really think in a different way with her body language and different things like that. Is there is there something, advice you would give our listeners then of, of how do I create the conditions for me or my team to be innovative because you talk about that protected culture but some people might be listening it's going to go on i wish there's there's, there's no there's no dedication for that I, we're not going to be you know put off into a very fancy environment is there something that we can do that to make sure if we were doing a workshop or if we're trying to create a more adaptive uh and innovative environment how might that be or like a creative environment so if we take that spectrum of more innovative through to more adaptive, if you've got a more innovative team or a more innovative individual, they love brainstorming. They like the mind maps. They, You've just told me exactly where you are on the spectrum, William, but everything that you have just explained to me. And that is a natural innovator, relatively high at work and play, because that is the way you will operate naturally. Um, and so being allowed to have the space to be able to do that is a really good thing and allowing yourself permission to, to behave in that way. If you're collaborating with others, you may need to take into consideration their needs as well. If you're naturally a more adaptive individual, all of that is a little bit too scary. So you've got two choices. One is that you can take yourself out of your comfort zone and um, pose a question which is wider than you originally started with to encourage you to think more broadly. 
or alternatively, you bring along a somebody who is going to be challenging and to who is going to help you get to that place. So I would be saying uh, if I was more adaptive and I wanted to think more broadly, I would pull in a William here to challenge and ask lots of questions to take me slightly out of my comfort zone to get to that point because that's not my natural place. I cannot take an, an, an adaptive individual and turn them into a natural, more innovative individual. What I can do though, is to create an environment where they feel comfortable in collaborating with somebody who's, who's, who has those skill sets or that, it's not even a skill set, a preference, who have that preference. And so you'd work together to think around a particular problem. So that's what you would want to do. If you were an entrepreneur working on your own, and you are finding yourself getting a bit in, stuck in, in, the, in, in, in the reeds or what have you, pull in a business coach who's different from you. Personally, if I'm, if I'm slightly more innovative, I would get a business coach who's more adaptive, who pulls me back to sanity check what I'm doing. So depending on where I am, the other person or people that I want to work with need to bring in the diversity which I don't naturally have within me can't easily do it on my own and this is why collaboration cooperation and teamwork is so important you can't do these things typically completely on your own uh, even the brightest of individuals will find it a struggle to achieve everything you can't do all jobs well honestly so if you're more innovative you might need to have somebody who's a very good secretary for you who's making sure that all your invoices get filed because that's not your natural zone you're smiling at me William so I know that I'm speaking to somebody who finds these tasks unpleasant so you get somebody else to collaborate with to do that now if you're doing it in a problem solving environment it works exactly the same way so if I am a high innovator and I want to make sure that my solutions are practical and acceptable to the company I pull in somebody who's more adaptive to me to help me achieve that if we're looking for something which is breakthrough and I um, am more adaptive, then I'm looking for somebody who can stir it up in my brain and challenge me to get those ideas which are wider than the original paradigm or terms of reference, which I probably have set myself. And I, I'm thinking of there and I'm thinking of, you know, flow theory there where there's that, you know, the comfort level which is slightly higher that challenge, but also, you know, that mental stimulation then and can we do that? So I'm I'm really thinking about that as you're getting the right partner. And it's funny you saw me smiling there. I can see the people have naturally drifted towards it. Say actually for me to be at my best, it means diversity. Uh and, and know that I have certain people are detail oriented or processed um there. As you even think about my my partnership at home with my wife, we, we have a very good balance going on to say, you know, what about this and what about that and these considerations. And then speaking of considerations, then my mind is going towards the role of autonomy and time freedom for people to be highly innovative. Like I know I need a certain amount of time and space to really think about the problem. I sometimes do the user experience where I visualize myself in different, you know, that empathy map uh, piece. And I do that quite well. So that's why I find coaching uh, quite easy. 
um, there is something around that, isn't there, about autonomy and time freedom that if 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 I, for example, was straight away to say to you, Nicola, please tell me a funny joke straight away, you're put on spot going, William, please don't ask me to do that. And, and, and that's where, you know, cognitive stress really gets in the way of innovation to say, give me a result right now or, or sometimes where it gets wrong and brainstorming is come up with five ideas straight away. And, and I look at people kind of going, are you for real? You know, isn't there something around that? Yeah, it's setting it's setting the parameters in which you're expecting your colleagues to work to be ones which are practical. So if you're if you're wanting somebody to come up with a number of breakthrough thoughts, then give them time to do that. But equally, it works the other way around. If you want your more adaptive colleagues to come up with a solution, in fact, they need even more time. Typically, the, the more innovative person is quick off the mark with, with lots of ideas and they're scribbling away. In fact, they probably stop listening to your brief halfway through because they've, they've got ideas for the beginning and they're not listening to the rest. Whereas an adaptive person, a more adaptive person will be sitting there listening. They'll take all the notes down and say, exactly how many ideas do you need, William? Okay, five. Do they need prioritizing? Okay, and when is the deadline you want this by? And do they need to follow? And so they tend to be much more prescriptive. And so they actually need even more time than the more innovative individuals who can bash out ideas fairly easily and on the spot. So I think... Um, it depends on the sophistication, the complication, the complexity of the questions that you are applying, and also whether you're expecting them to challenge the problem that you've set. Because one of the things we typically see with a more innovative person is that I say, okay, this is my problem, and you're a coach, so you'll know that, that your immediate response as a coach is, yeah, but is that really your problem? It could be this, this, and this, and this. Have you considered this background information? Now, a more innovative person typically comes up with that. They immediately lift off, get in the helicopter view, and looking to see what the um, other influences might be on that particular problem. Because a more adaptive person is le less likely to do that. So from the point of view of creating an environment which is good for them to work in, is to allow them time, but tell them how much, um, allow them some, give them some kinds of parameters so they can push against it. So they've got some idea of where they're working. People can't work with no structure, but to let them get on with it and then find a mechanism to get the ideas out of them in a way which is practical, because that's the other difficulty very frequently. That's that's the, the, the stumbling block, not getting the ideas in the first place, but getting them in a format which works. And equally, then, for your more adaptive colleagues, give them permission to spend time on it. So you talk about autonomy and having ideas. It might be that they prefer to be locked in a room and not and told that they, they've got to write the answers before they leave, whereas you prefer to think in the bath or go for a walk. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what your methodology is, but you've got to feel safe and you've got to feel confident that you can do the job you've been asked to do yeah it's funny you just mentioned the bathroom there it just sort of reminded me that i used to keep a notebook in 
so I used to hop out of the shower and just write down, oh yeah, yeah. And 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 this is the thing I think what some people don't understand about people who are highly innovative and some people who are more adaptive is it's it's like a life force, it's like an energy, like everything coming out, and it's it's a bit hard to I find it sometimes hard to control. So that's why I write down as much as possible. And the pace at which my brain is working, it, it, I I am in full energy mode. It, however, it is very draining if I do it for long periods. So there is about that that energy piece as well that some people might be able to go. William Cordes, contain yourself. I'm like it is happening right now. I cannot stop my brain going into overdrive, and and I think it's a bit like driving a car, isn't it? You need to slow down. This is what I've learned over the years. I need to slow down. Um, I you know, but obviously, if I if it's a bit like you know, cycling a bike, if I get the hill, and you know, I need to go fast at the hill, and then I need to go. Okay, let's slow down here and and, and catch your breath. Or if I go too fast, I'll I'll go off the road. So there is that managing the balance there, and that's the whole thing about what can happen in conflict in teams, isn't it? That they they really don't understand their own preferences, and sometimes they might say. Oh, I'm innovative because I've created, I've solved a problem, or I'm creative in a different way. But I think that's the whole thing about really understanding yourself. So you know, I know for me, I need to slow down and you know do it and and create those environments for myself for other people. Then say, listen, I need to go away into a room. Is there any other advice you give to people about you know understanding themselves and team members better? So. If I am in a team meeting and I'm, this person is going off on one again, or oh, they've asked me another question on detail or process. You know, is there is there any more advice in that? It's respecting other people's needs and requ- and requirements, if you like. So we often find in a in a in a in a meeting environment that the adapters tend not to contribute so much. So in order for them to contribute and to contribute well is to actually ask them. They will often complain that um, more innovative people are onto the 10th idea before we've actually fully discussed the first one. And of course, the more innovative person doesn't want to forget the ideas that they've got running along in their eye, so they're spouting them out. So there are sort of lots of techniques which can be used to help under those circumstances. Um, and one is very much, you know, writing them down on a piece of paper rather than speaking them out and waiting your turn and to encourage uh, the more innovative individuals to have some techniques like that so that they can put their contribution in at the right time rather than the wrong time so it will be more acceptable, so it doesn't disrupt the flow of the meeting. But equally, if you've got a chair of the meeting that um, the more adaptive individuals are specifically asked and given space to answer because they'll often pause for thought and by the time they've opened their mouth to say something, three innovators have jumped in there with their divergent thinking going on, throwing lots of ideas out. And that poor adaptive individual has now no longer been able to speak and now is leaving the meeting feeling undervalued. So what you want to be able to do is to capture all those wonderful breakthrough thoughts and then deal with them individually 
to start thinking about okay what's practical how do we how, how do we prioritize these things how do we make sure that we stay to time because that's important in some of these corporate meetings and a highly um, a more innovative team will often not run to time and the um, more adaptive individuals will find that very annoying so it's understanding who's in the team what parameters need to be in place and agreed and everyone then that sticks and agrees to the uh, those rules that you've you've set up so that everybody feels that they've contributed because you want to be valued within the team um, and and that you're contributing and that contribution is valued what, wherever you are so as you say more innovative person can run away with things and they can be on that 10th 20th idea too soon and therefore they are now ignored because they are not contributing at the right time in the right way um, but equally that the more adaptive individuals have a chance to ask the questions that they need in order to be able to get through that so what you need to do is to think about what techniques can we do to make sure everybody feels happy and comfortable because one of the things that we know is that the more comfortable and the more within your natural preference you operate the more effective as an individual you'll be but also the happier you will be because you'll feel valued you'll uh, feel engaged and empowered and therefore your wellness will improve and we know that where people are consistently squashed or ignored they feel very uncomfortable and will often leave a company when in fact they've got a lot to contribute so making sure our team remains together and cohesive is showing the respect for other people's needs. So actually asking the question, okay, I know I'm running away with this, might be a William comment, what can I do to make it better for you? Knowing that you are slightly more adaptive than me or very much more adaptive than me. So you've aired that. And what we found where we've done, where we've given everyone their KAI scores within a, say, a transformation team and they all know what they are, they will say, with due respect, I know that you need the detail, but let me just get this off my chest so that we've got the big picture and then we'll go to the detail. Is that OK? And that the more adaptive person will say, yes, I hear you. I understand the need to offload. Once we've got it on paper, OK, let me now ask the questions or let us go through the steps because they'll like steps and they'll like the detail. And then they will say something really nice for an innovator. Let me take all of that away and write it up for you and create a flowchart and a process which can be used by other teams because you don't want to do that because that's not your forte, but it's very much their forte. And that is how that team collaboration works. And what's important is for everyone to come to that meeting prepared. So trying to avoid thinking on the fly will help your more adaptive colleagues. And equally, the adapter wants to read your some of the ideas in advance so they aren't taken by surprise because they don't like being put on the spot so much. So it's that, it's preparation, it's planning, it's respect and an understanding of the other people's needs. And then you just pull in the right techniques to allow you the framework to do that. So you mentioned earlier on the KIIs AI scores and that's the curtain adaptation innovation that continuum for our listeners there and again it, I notice about myself that that I can get when I work on my own being innovative I, I lose a sense of time somewhat I might forget to eat or or, or something like that you know um, and then you know we talked about structure earlier on and there's some people here whether they're chief 
operations officer listening in or they're process orientated, they're going to go, oh, process. Is there a magic formula to innovation? Is there a structure that I can run through my team with? And there we go. And, I, and I'm really feeling empathy for them, you know, to say, actually, OK, what do we do here? What's the structure here? They love the structure. And unfortunately, there's no structure for, for breakthrough thought. It's by its definition is breaking down the structure. So it's always going to take them absolutely out of their out of their comfort zone, which is a shame. Although you did mention one thing which made me smile there is that you forget time. Um, here at the KI Foundation, we talk about innovator time. It works on a completely different non-linear scale from the rest of the world's time. It's highly elastic. Um, whereas an adapter's time work, works one second plus one second, yours doesn't. And uh, we know this, so which is why um, innovators can be uh, very unpunctual from time to time, find it quite difficult with deadlines. Um, they tend to work right up to or only, in fact, after the deadline, given half a chance, because they underestimate how much time they actually need to get things done, or they get so absorbed with what they're doing, they forget the passage of time. And, um, you know, they're, they're not too bothered about it. And we do find that that's a problem as well within organisations, because, you know, you, you do need to work to a schedule in the process. It's, it's important. And particularly if you're taking something, a new product to, um, to market, uh, there will be key milestones which must be hit. And the more innovative teams find that quite a tricky thing to, to achieve, which is why they need their adaptive friends or more adaptive friends to help them achieve those things. And that's what I do for our listeners is I actually am very good at scheduling in time into my diary. I set timers for myself to say, okay, that's it, you know, and, and I plan for the worst and hope for the best when it comes to time. Um, and I think that's something I've learned over the years, especially if somebody gives me a complex problem to solve, like a, a design in a, a workshop on a, a very complex problem. I have to, you know, give myself a couple of weeks notice to schedule that time and hopefully it comes to me or if I'm struggling, then I have to go for a walk or whatever I have to do to to charge that. So we're coming to the end of our podcast uh, right now. And what I want to, the, one of the last questions I have, and you know, there might be other stuff that you want to share with us, Nicola, is that something was coming to me as you were speaking about the the two sides of the spectrum and I could be in a culture that's mainly full of adaptive people or vice versa I might be that the, the the creative innovator side of things you know is it that maybe the environment doesn't suit me if I'm working in an innovation hub is, is there something to that yes um individual organizations can have their own climate uh, cognitive climate and one of the things that we sometimes find is that people recruit people who are similar to themselves because they spark and they feel comfortable with them and they tend to use the same language and so if they're not careful they start recruiting more and more people who are similar to themselves and you end up with a homogeneous group and as I was saying right at the very beginning that isn't healthy for a company to thrive and, su and succeed you actually want diversity so making sure that you do have diversity within the, within the team is an HR responsibility to make sure that we do have that. Um, but also that it's managed when people come on, on board. If you've deliberately chosen somebody different from yourself to make up that diversity, 
then you need to onboard them in a way which gives them the structures that they they need to help them succeed. So you say, you are different from me. So I know this will be difficult for me to do this, this and this, and it will be difficult for you to do the other. Let's make sure we talk and, and collaborate uh, within that. But we also know that some businesses naturally or organizations naturally will have a more adaptive uh, leaning or a more innovative leaning. So if you take the civil service or government, um, that will typically be more adaptive, um, whereas Google is more likely to be uh, AI, areas where we're working in an AI, will be have a cognitive climate which is more innovative. So you'll find that an adaptive will feel more comfortable in an adaptive organization, an innovator will feel more comfortable in a more innovative organization. What you've got to make sure in, in is that if you need people who are different from the average for your co company, that they feel comfortable and that they feel secure and that you, um, you have um, an environment where they can stick their hand up and say, this isn't going too well for me. So we do keep them because uh, adapters in an innovative environment tend to leave and uh, quickly because they feel so uncomfortable and that's not good for the organization. So therefore you need as an organization to think about that in advance. How do you want to onboard them? How do you retain them? And how do you value that difference? The very difference which you have recruited to get into the business is the one thing which is going to push them out if you aren't careful. So it's it's putting that at training, not only for the person coming in, but the people who are already there to say, look, you are of this uh, KI preference. This person's coming in is different from you, but you need them because there are things that they do naturally which are comfortable for them, which has been really helpful for you. They can pick up the bits which you don't like, find hard, what have you. You need to learn the language to speak together so you collaborate. But you need to put that in before they started working. So if you're thinking, I need a more adaptive person or I need a more innovative person in, understand the implications of that from a personal a point of view uh, and their, their wellness and their mental well-being and giving them that safe space. So you were talking about a safe space to just go for a walk. Now, hybrid working is great from this point of view because uh, at least some of the time you are now in your personal space where you can control that environment and maybe take that period of time out that you need in order to um, make your working life effective and comfortable for you so it's all about well-being there and um, the HR department is probably the best place to start with that is producing that insight but it's not training for one person it's training for the whole team um, and I would recommend everybody understanding where they are in the uh, cognitive uh, style spectrum because that will help you have the insight to work better with other people and that's a curious thought that you've an approach. So as I was thinking there, I was going to go, well, this is very intentional. Now, usually you have a director of energy, uh, engineering and innovation where if it's really intentional, it's part of the innovative climate and culture, then the responsibility, accountability and support. What I'm gathering from you is actually through HR. It can be. And what, what we find is very often the, the department that comes to us first 
is the project department saying it isn't working we don't know why How, what do we need to do about it and at that point you you explain this process particularly if it's an uh, innovative group or it's a process engineering group uh, where they are being asked to take on too much change too quickly and so we'll talk them through this they embrace it and then the hr team are brought in to put in place um support for those who are different and to start talking about how can we be more welcoming how do we recruit the right people how do we attract the right people how do we retain the right people and that becomes part of the story but very often interestingly it's the it's the individual departments which come with a problem first and it's often transformational change or it's engineering that come first to us. So we are used very widely in, in places like oil, uh, where they've got huge amounts of change um, because we're now, that industry is having to clean up its act from the environmental point of view and really switching over to um, uh, carbon neutral or zero carbon technologies. So they that the whole energy sector is on a huge transformational change. They're having to minimize costs for that oil because they, they can't sell it at, a high, at such a high level anymore because it's, it's not acceptable. They're having to change over to something completely new. They're having to take all their staff with them. It may involve a lot of trans, um, transformation and recruitment and potentially taking on new businesses. That's, that's massive. And what's interesting is that we work with some of the, these companies to help them achieve it. And it might be a conversation around how can we improve, be more efficient with the fuels that we are using, which are fossil fuels, and how can we embrace the new technology and making sure we keep ahead of the curve, because that's where the future is. So let's do what we do well now, or even better now, and then one eye on the future, how do we do that so that we are not left behind? So is, it, is there interesting things? And you can look at health, at any big sector has got some of these issues facing it at them at the moment. And you know, in Britain, we have the National Health Service, which is in crisis. And uh, I've got four or five consultants working within the um, National Health Service at the moment, trying to help them with the transformational change which is required to keep it going. And as you were speaking there, I just kept going a once-off workshop probably ain't going to help a lot of people it's more of a systemic approach to this to go how can we support you to be more innovative and understanding the barriers and the challenges and how to allow that to flourish and speaking of of flourishing then and you talked about diversity and i did a a podcast on neurodiversity and it's funny when you were speaking then you were talking about time lost and innovation and 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 planning you know the executive control then and then I couldn't help but think like ADHD and stuff like that some people maybe more naturally um those breakthrough um type people are are naturally suited for that you know and and that's where it becomes a superpower uh, is there any correlation there or, you know, I'm just curious about that because if it's a bit like if, if I really want to hire the right people, you know, instead of being marginalized, maybe, maybe there's an opportunity here. 
Certainly, and we certainly know that certain neurodiversities uh, are particularly suited to uh, certain types of work, either more detailed because they're prepared to do the detail uh, um, very, very carefully, or that they've got that divergent thinking. What we find is it can be amplified where they both go in the same direction. So if you're innovative and have attention deficit syndrome, then you are likely to be motoring on all cylinders all of the time, which is exhausting and very tiring, but it's also very difficult to work with somebody like that. So you have to really, really think about the structures uh, and the support systems that are put in place to channel it. Otherwise it goes off like, a, a scattergun and equally if you take somebody who who's neurodiverse and in in the sense that they 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 almost got um ocd and they're adaptive there is a risk that they won't actually leave work that they will worry too much and then they they could have a nervous breakdown so we're wanting to get the balance right there so it, again it's all about understanding who you've got in the team and making sure that the environment is right and also that you've got some some people on the lookout for trouble ahead just to make sure that they you, you're looking after yourself you have a care of duty under those circumstances to answer the question about research there's a small amount of research being done in the neurodiversity field against cognitive diversity um i don't know what the correlations are going to turn out to be be very interesting to find out because I've certainly personally got an acquaintance who is on the autistic spectrum and has a need for detail, but is highly innovative, so doesn't like it. So she will persistently ask for the detail and then get very upset when it arrives and then can't remember it. And that frustrates her. And it causes a lot of internal strife because the two things are pulling in the opposite direction. So yes, there's research to be done to help those individuals. Um, there is no, there is no reason why they shouldn't be hugely successful uh, individuals, but they just need a little, a different kind of support. Um, and then once, once put in the right environment, gosh, they'll motor for you. And that's the thing about cognitive diversity and neurodiversity. That is not a spectrum. You know, it's a sphere that's operating in and, and and that's a great uh, example there i kind of went down the the stereotypical uh thing there and and so if i was helping someone then that with, with autism there is, is is to make sure if it is detailed it's to kind of reassure them that it's okay to to let go and to give them that emotional support there on the other side then if it's adhd is it like putting in deadlines or reminders or how to hold people accountable and, and way, work, work ways around that. Is is, is that on here? Yeah, and I think also it's working with the associations who are very familiar with the needs of, of people on the neurodiversity spectrums uh, of all different varieties because they, they need often different environments, different ways of working, uh, different kinds of support uh, structures. And so each person is an individual, and we also know there are gender differences between the two as well. So autism in, in women um, often manifests itself differently from autism in, in males. Originally, it was diagnosed in 80% of cases were male. And now we understand that that's only because the, the original definition of autism was male skewed. And now we have a greater understanding of that. So that's no longer the case, but it manifests itself typically in different individuals in very different ways. 
Um, and as you were saying, it's multi-variate um, uh, in the sense that autism has three different principal characteristics, is my understanding. I'm not a specialist in the area. And so you can be strong on one and weak on another, and that will manifest itself in different preferences and behaviours. Equally, with, uh, with um, adaption innovation, it's made up of three different elements, rule conformity, idea generation, volume of uh, ideas, and then efficiency and methodology. So there's three different trades with it, within it, if you like. Um, and so you can be stronger or weaker in each of those. And so when you overlay these with all of the other parts of personality, introversion, extroversion, you've got the whole picture of an individual. But if we could, I've just been talking about one small part of your uh, sort of personality. We know that it's set early and it stays, so it makes it predictive. So it really helps me predict what kind of behaviours you're likely to naturally prefer to exhibit. You might not necessarily see them, but that would be your natural preference. So it's predictive, that's useful. And because it's um, adaption innovation is really all about how you think about problem solving. And that's an awful lot about humanity. It is a very important element to measure, but it's certainly not the only thing that we should be measuring. Motivation in the workplace, intelligence will have um, level of education, also going to have a huge impact on how successful you are um, within that environment. Neurodiversity is another element, um, and social skills. Um, EQ would be another thing. So it's it's one part of the big picture. But the more we allow people to be authentic to themselves and work to their strengths and work away from their natural weaknesses, the more productive, effective, efficient, and happy people are going to be. So it's, it's a real benefit to all organisations to consider these, these individual points. Um, small changes could make a huge difference to one individual's life. And hopefully that's what we're achieving today is create some sort of uh, difference in people's lives. Nicola, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. And if people were to find out more about you and especially the Curtain Adaptation Innovation at inventory how might they do so just drop me um an email at nicola.curtain at kai.foundation have a look on the website all of that information is there look me up on linkedin just reach out to me i'm where you can come on my mailing list and get updates of the latest research and articles and always have happy to have a chat nicola thank you so much for joining the workplace podcast thank you so much william that's been brilliant Thanks for listening to The Workplace Podcast with your host, William Corliss. Our special thanks to this episode's guest for sharing their expertise with us. If you found this episode valuable, please rate and review it. For updates on future episodes and to get in contact with us about any workplace topics, please follow Yellowwood on LinkedIn and Twitter at Different Paths. As always, you can head over to yellowwood.ie for any other information. Yellowwood your external learning and development partner, provider of executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organisation.